Hey everybody, I'm Dylan Vansickle and welcome to 14 Speaks, a 14 East Magazine podcast. I know it's been a while since our last show, but we've got two stories this week to make up for it. One from Director of Development Michaela Rose Price and another from Associate Editor Chris Silber. First, we head to the Loop, up to the 11th floor of the DePaul Center for a ribbon-cutting ceremony. A new veterans' lounge opened up earlier this week, and Chris was able to catch a speech by veteran union treasurer Heather Duke. Um, Thank you all for joining us today to celebrate this momentous occasion, the grand opening of DePaul University's Veterans Lounge. My name is Heather Duke, and I'm a senior studying software development here at DePaul. Prior to DePaul, I served six years in the world's finest Navy as a gas turbine mechanic. Like many veterans, after my enlistment was finished, I did not know exactly what my next step was. While serving in the military, my every move was decided for me. On deployment, every task completed was for the sake of a specific mission. After a few years of trying to find my next step in life, I came to DePaul to continue my academics and work towards a new career path. But after starting school in the autumn of 2016, I felt a disconnect from my classmates. I sought to make connections and friends. I even joined a sorority. My sorority became the sisterhood I never had. But I still miss the brotherhood that I grew up in, that molded me to be who I am now. Shortly after joining the SVU, I learned that many veterans felt the same as I did, a little lost without a compass to guide our direction. Along our journey, it became increasingly important to help give veterans a place where they would feel welcome, to bond, to study, and relax between classes. A place where they would naturally fit in and be amongst friends. This welcoming space for all veterans, families, and friends to come and feel once again a part of that unique community that has bonded us together. Chris, describe some of the reasons why you ended up wanting to cover this new Veterans Lounge opening. Yeah, so I saw there was a flyer for the opening of the new Veterans Lounge, and I was curious because I hadn't really heard much about veterans at DePaul, and I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and in Columbus and Central Ohio, there's Air Force Base there, and there's an Air Force Base in Dayton, and so a lot of people in Columbus sort of have that background, and some of my best friends went in military service, but coming to Chicago for school, I kind of didn't hear about that as much, and so I saw the flyer, and I was just curious to see what presence that the veterans had in DePaul, if they had any, and if they were different or the same as other students at the school. So outside of this lounge, outside of an opening, what does DePaul do to distinguish itself as a veteran-friendly university? Well, first they accept the post-9-11 GI Bill, which offers 36 months of schooling for students coming out of military service. And on top of that, they also are a yellow ribbon pro- a yellow ribbon program school, which means on top of that GI Bill, they will work with the VA to 
make sure that veterans don't have to pay out of pocket for any of their schooling at DePaul. So it's a great school for veterans to go to financially, coming out of service in Chicago specifically, because they are a yellow ribbon program school. What's the importance and significance of having a lounge specifically geared towards veterans? Well, the veterans uh, had traditionally used the commuters' lounges to meet, but they felt that they were their own community in that they have a lot of the same experiences coming into school and they face the same challenges of entering school after service that they needed their own space to congregate and just have casual meetings with each other and build their community in that way. So the military, as everyone already knows, is very structured. It's very regimented. College isn't necessarily like that at all. Correct. In fact, it's kind of structureless, and that's part of the fun. So how how do these veterans uh, benefit from taking part in the SVU and going to this lounge? Well, as you said, the coming out of the military, they're used to that regimented lifestyle and sort of having that specific thing to do every day and coming into college, it's very different. And that can be a big challenge for a lot of veteran students. And so the Student Veterans Union and the New Lounge offers a bit of structure and a way to meet people in the same situation as them coming into DePaul and getting back into the school lifestyle that really helps veteran students succeed at college and build friendships and just continue their education and lives outside of the military. Director of Development, Michaela Rose Price is here. Michaela, what did you cover this week? So I went to the Forced From Home exhibit that was brought to us by Doctors Without Borders, and it was at the Richard Daly Center. It was free and open to the public, and it was only up for about five days. The exhibit is touring across the United States, so I went there and took two tours, and then I wrote about it. Okay, so... Describe your experience like going in. I didn't know what to expect. When I walked towards the Daily Center, it's just like they took up this huge chunk of space. They just like fenced it off. And there's like nine different sections to the tour. The tour begins every six minutes or so. And upon entry, you're given like a passport. So you're suddenly a new person. At first, I was someone from Syria. And then you take this 360 degree video like dome thing that you go in to try and see what it feels like to be in a refugee camp and then each other of the stations kind of broke down you know when you think of refugees like what we think of is pretty overly simple compared to like what they actually go through so each of those sections of the tour kind of explained like what a refugee is compared to a stateless person versus a migrant and just what they go through from running, like leaving their home to if they get to a camp and if they ever 
get somewhere like the United States. So you're saying it simulates the experience of being a refugee? Yes. So once you get your passport and you take that 360 degree video like introduction, each group is given about 30 seconds to grab five items from a wall. I picked my phone, shoes, water, things like that, and that was supposed to simulate an emergency and what you feel you need to grab. As you don't know if you're ever gonna return home. As you go through each section, you have to drop a piece off. And the last one I had that most people had was their cell phone. The third station was called On the Move, and that was probably the most visual of them all because we all sat on a boat to kind of simulate what it's like to, I guess, leave and like a real boat. Yeah, they had okay. a real boat, and it was made for ten people. And it's really not even supposed to be in the ocean. It's made for a lake, but they use it in the ocean, and they can pack up to fifty people on those boats. So sitting there and like visualizing that was crazy, and just hearing all the stories about how most people don't even make it to shore. So fifty people cram onto a boat that is designed for a lake. Yes, and ten people with no life jackets. The boats they go on are they pay smugglers, so it's not even like a legal thing, and it's like a thousand to two thousand dollars per person. And then they sell you life jackets if you can afford it for like two hundred dollars. And does this interactive experience go into that process at all? So the the boat itself is just sitting there, but depending on your tour guide. They, the tour guides work for MSF or Doctors Without Borders, and they've gone on mission trips. So they have personal experiences with like saving these people from these boats. I went on two different tours, so I had two different experiences and learned different things. So it really depends on your your tour guide. But my first one, like she kind of went into detail of like what she saw when she would pull people out of these boats, or the process of going from the boat to making it to shore, and so forth. Is the experience determined by country? Is there a difference? Yeah, it's not extremely different, but they try to do that to visualize the difference between depending on what country you're from, whether you're internally displaced, whether you're a refugee, whether you're a stateless person or a migrant, and how vastly different those are. Because I feel like when we hear like, you know, the refugee crisis, we just assume everyone's running out of their home, where two thirds of people leaving are actually. Just internally displaced, so they're not leaving their country. They're just leaving their home and forced to leave their home. So is the common understanding of refugee crisis more or less like a blanket term for several yeah, other things? Yeah, that's definitely that's a good way to explain it. Yeah, and this exhibit wanted to show you that it's not a blanket; that it's very complex, and they did it in like the simplest way possible of kind of breaking down like on the move, like where these people go depending on their legal status. How hard it is to get basic needs. Like once they make it to a refugee camp, most of the day is taken up by trying to get food or water. What are some of your personal takeaways with this experience? Reporting it, being there, taking it all in. You went there twice, yeah. so I think just learning how much they have to go through. Like obviously, you know, it's not an easy thing. It's not something that people want to do. But just thinking about how they have to survive every day. You know, I think. With the term refugee, we don't visualize that. We just picture them trying to come into our country or something like that. But just knowing the conditions, how if they can pay a smuggler to get onto this boat, and in this boat, like the gasoline will leak and it creates like an acid in the boat. Does that happen in the tour, or is that just no, a, like an example? Yeah, of... it was just an example of they're saying、mm -hmm. like this is usually what happens, and then the acid will burn their skin. So if 
MSF is able to save them. They have to, like, sanitize them. And so even if these people fleeing somehow make it to land, they're often exploited, whether it be for work or women are often, like, sex go into sex trafficking or, or raped by the whatever, like, country they end up in. And then once they get to a camp or, you know, exploited for labor, just all of the terrible health conditions that they have to go through, all of the diseases. I just didn't think about that. And I think that was my biggest takeaway is realizing all those little day-to-day things and how lucky we are to not have to deal with that and how the term refugee and refugee crisis is just oversimplified and that the camps themselves are just in places that are uninhabitable. We really wouldn't have to give them that much here. Do you think that we, like you said, oversimplify this because the issue is so complicated? Yeah, I think so. And maybe, you know, depending on what the media wants viewers to think as well, but I think just because it's so complex. The tour also only highlighted five countries, but MSF works in over 70, and each one has a different set of um, what they call push factors of like what makes people leave. So whether it be political strife or civil unrest, there's just so many different reasons that they, and they all intersect. So it would be hard, I think, to cover all of that on like a daily like news cycle. My final question is what would you take with you? The things in your home if you had to leave? Honestly, I feel like my phone and like my charger. Even though there are like personal items that I'd want to keep, I feel like photos are so important. That, that was a big thing for a lot of refugees is bringing pictures of their family because they didn't know if they'd ever see them again. And I know this isn't answering the question, but I found it interesting that my second tour guide said that a lot of refugees will take their house keys which I didn't even think about like it was on the wall and I didn't even was like I'm leaving you know but they hope to return they don't see it as they're leaving forever that's an interesting I feel common misconception that people have about refugees maybe yeah Yeah. they commonly took their house keys because they did want to go back yeah I don't know if it was calmly but yeah Mm. it was like the hope like I'm gonna come back yeah and then whenever they go to the camp they think like I'll just be here for a few months I hope but they stay there for months and they're just in plastic tent there was a tent that looked like a camping tent you know that like we go and have fun and like during the summer but that's what they live in like through all the seasons Thank you, Michaela and Chris. And thank you all for listening to our comeback episode of 14 Speaks. Want to read more about what you heard today? Just check out this week's issue at 14eastmag.com. Special thanks to managing editor Cody Corral, multimedia editor Natalie Wade, and associate editor Melody Mercado for keeping me sane. Our editor-in-chief is Madeline Happold, and our faculty sponsor is Amy Merrick. I'm Dylan Vansickle, and thanks for tuning in. See you in a couple weeks.